0: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod
1: on W-E-E-I. Woo! Welcome into episode 246 of The Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Hope everybody had a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. It's been a little bit of turkey in the stomach for the Bruins the last couple of games. Uh, not their not their greatest hockey of the season. There was a good win against the Panthers in there. Lots to talk about, including some roster transactions, mainly Mason Lowry going back down to Providence, which was a debated topic prior to. But before we get to our opening shifts, Bridget, how was your weekend? I know you were busy calling games, and Scott, you were Me. down to NYC. So talk to the people. How How are you guys doing on this beautiful Monday?
2: I am tired. Um, I had I had seven broadcasts in eight days. Uh, actually, my voice is kind of sounding like it's going a little bit now, but I did four broadcasts this week and I talked for like, I don't know, eight hours a day, Friday and Saturday. It was too much. Um, and now I'm prepping for next week's uh, UMass Lowell Yukon men's game. And then I have the Yukon's women's game too. Doing four jobs in hockey season may be too much. I don't know if you guys <laughs> you, you guys
0: agree. I, I I don't have to do four jobs, so uh, I don't know. Sounds sounds crazy, but Bridget Bridget does a great job on college games, though. In addition to her podcast duties and everything else else with Ei, so
1: you know I know I know we
0: touch on it plenty, but yeah, Bridget does a ton during hockey season.
2: You're going to um, tune in on Friday, right?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, there's also BU Merrimack Friday night, but right?
2: Bridget's on Nesson on Friday. You got to yeah, tune in. I'll, so. I'll be
0: going back and forth or maybe I'll have one on the laptop. On Here's
2: Nessun. one. Here's one for you, Scott. I have Yale BU at the end of December. You better tune in.
0: I definitely will. <laughs> um, yeah. New York city was great. Uh, Saw too much losing hockey, to, to be honest. Um, not only the Bruins losing Friday and Saturday, but uh, BU lost lost to Cornell in Red Hot Hockey, um, which was a game they were dominating for a while. And then, I don't know, it's, they only could score one goal and seem to get frustrated and let Cornell come storming back. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was a tough loss for BU, but they're they're still doing just fine in all the rankings.
2: Welcome to the um, College Hockey Podcast, guys. <laughs> the, right. The big um, college skate pod.
0: Yeah, so, but other than that, I had a great time in New York and then sat in all the Thanksgiving traffic coming back on Sunday, which I knew was going to happen, but it still doesn't really prepare you for just how awful that drive can be when uh, it's the end of a holiday weekend glad to be back though uh you know be- because a c- couple of us were traveling that's why uh you know we're doing this podcast a little later than uh, i think we had initially anticipated but that's all right we're we're still going to get it out and we'll have another one you know wednesday morning reacting to uh you know monday's game in columbus as well as some bigger picture topics
1: all right and and yeah there's definitely a lot to break down and Bruins fans have been very, very lucky the last couple of regular seasons. There has been more or less nothing but winning. How have the playoffs gone? Not so so great. But in the regular season, it's been smooth sailing for Boston. And to the point where everybody was, or a lot of people were just kind of like, no matter how many games the Bruins won, because of their collapse in the postseason last year, it's simply show us in spring. Show us in the playoffs. Nothing matters until the playoffs, which we've talked about here. Is not true, but that's a lot of the narrative. But then, chew, choo Here comes the losing train, and now everybody's the sky is falling, and this team, this team sucks, and not they're not cup contenders anymore. So, which is it, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, but I do think that it opens up the possibility for us to discuss where this team does need improvements, whether they're winning the last couple of games or losing. So let's start with our opening shifts. And Bridget, let's go ladies first and and start with you.
2: All right. Well, it's funny because I have the positive one. (laughs) So I was going to talk about some of the bright spots in, you know, otherwise kind of a chaotic weekend of matinee games that, um, you know, were not necessarily the Bruins' best starts. I know matinee games are different and, and pose their own issues, especially back-to-back ones, um, that that was weird for me. Um, but anyway, some of the bright spots in the two losses this weekend, and especially in the second game in New York, was the Charlie Coyle line. Um, when the, the Friday game, they were not with James Van Reemsek. He was taking kind of like a a maintenance day, um, just, just a little bit of a rest day for him. But then when he came back and it was Frederick Coyle, Van Riemsdyk again. It it looked great. Um, We are going to talk about some of the defensive breakdowns, but that that coil line was a force. Frederick uh, had a really nice setup on one of two coil goals. He's had four goals in the last four games. um, Scored two on on Saturday, and Van Riemsdyk when he's in, he's just like he's kind of a quiet player where you you don't notice him until all of a sudden the puck is like right in the crease. And then he's just knocking people out of the way and getting shots. Like, cause he's kind of just a, like a awaiting like that, that opportunity, but he does such a good job with it. Um, and I just think that that line has been a bright spot, even in the losses.
0: Yeah. I will gladly take the negative with my opening shift. And that is that Saturday was by far the Bruins worst defensive game of the season. And not at all how you want to bounce back after giving up five goals on Friday to then give up a season high seven on Saturday. Um, You know, Friday, I think a lot of their issues were penalty related Bruins took too many penalties. Their penalty kill had some breakdowns. We don't usually see with Detroit scoring two power play goals within like 12 seconds of a power play starting. Um, Red Wings had another goal that came right after a power play But Saturday, the breakdowns went way beyond penalty. The Bruins didn't even take that many penalties, so it went way beyond that. And it was breakdowns coming at five on five, not just, you know, rush defense or odd man chances, but in zone stuff that we don't see from the Bruins very often, giving up scene passes, leaving guys open in front of the net. Um, You know, obviously the Rangers are a great team. They now have passed the Bruins for the best record in the NHL and they're very dangerous offensively, but a lot for the Bruins to clean up there. And, you know, the, yeah, the schedule has been weird and tough and that might be a factor, but the Rangers had the same exact schedule leading up to Saturday's game. They also had five and eight. They also played Friday afternoon. So that really doesn't, doesn't get you too far with me in terms of an excuse.
1: So I'm going to follow Scott's negative take. With a neutral take. Um, I, I definitely, like I said earlier, I just think that if the Bruins are winning every game or losing, I still think it doesn't matter to me. The results in November, besides playoff positioning, it, it's it's not convincing me one way or the other that, that the Bruins are locked to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I think they're a playoff team. I think they're a solid playoff team. But even throughout their hot start this year, I haven't viewed them as like the cream of the crop contender's status that their that their record indicates. I still think that their team game needs work. And I would be saying this even if they were winning the last couple of games and not giving up 12, 13 goals, you know? And for me, it's not I'm not even saying go out there and get Nikita Zadorov or some big body defenseman that that loves to play physical. I would I I think I would take that. But what I want to see from this Bruins decor. They're great with at checking with their feet. They're great at checking with their sticks. They're great at angling. They're really good defensive players. I still think that as a unit, the Bruins' decor, and I think physicality goes team wide, but specifically with the decor, I just think that they're a little too easy to play against for other opponents, at least physically, and. Hampus Lindholm comes to mind. He's not a physical player. Matt Grislick is not a physical player. And that's not, it's it's okay. I'm just saying, I think these, I'm just pointing it out. Brandon Carlo, I think he has his moments, but I don't think players fear playing against him. Charlie McAvoy, yeah, you got to keep your head up. And players know that. Forbert, you know, he's okay. He's he's not overly physical, but he's not, he, he's not a slouch. I just think this decor needs to adopt him. a a, a unit-wide mentality of just being a little bit nastier to play against. However that comes, I just think they need a little bit more nastiness in their game. I just think they're too easy to play against as an opposing team and a forward group. You're not afraid to cycle on these Bruins, these defensemen. You're not afraid to to forecheck. And like I said, I don't think going out and getting one player and adding it to the decor is the solution. I think everybody needs to buy in and just be a little bit more nasty to play against. And if not right now, when April comes around, because I do think that you look at every successful team that that goes on a Stanley cup run, you ha you have to have a little bit of nastiness in your game. And, and that's my opening shift.
0: Yeah. And we we've heard that be a point of emphasis from Jim Montgomery. He said before the season, he wanted the Bruins to be more physical at both ends of the ice. Um, you know i to me where like where that shows up on defense is the battles in front of the net which i think the bruins had been doing a pretty good job of winning for the most part this season and you've really seen it break down these last couple of games though where they're not you know i know i know this isn't quite what you're talking about brian but like the bruins have left guys open in front they've struggled to tie up sticks and bodies and it it's all physicality in the sense of winning battles and just getting yourself in a better position than the other guy, you know, pushing him out of the way. So he doesn't have, uh, you know, space to get a deflection or to be there on a rebound. Um, You know, I, I agree to an extent, like some, you know, some guys can probably be a little meaner, a little more physical to me. Like when it comes to playoffs, I think it's almost, you know, what your forecheck can do, more that I think it can actually be like intimidating and help swing some momentum um I do think like the bruins forwards have work to do there I think they can be more physical as well and defensively to me it's more about like standing up you know holding up against a four check like I don't I don't necessarily need Carlo forward whoever throwing huge hits like I'd rather them just get to the puck first and move it but I do need them to be able to take hits and that's where we've seen the bruins you know have some issues in the past and and you know make mistakes because they don't always handle that pressure well so um there's something there like i i, I don't need it to be bruins defenseman you know running guys through the glass but being able to win battles and hold up you know under other teams forechecks i think is definitely you know very fair
1: agreed
2: and uh, the one big check that I saw this weekend by a Bruins defenseman was McAvoy on Matt Patra. <laughs> that one was scary for a second. He, I mean, completely accidental, both guys not seeing each other going for the puck. But I thought the Bruins were going to be down to center because it looked like he got them pretty clean in the head. And I was surprised to see Patra come back about five, six, seven minutes later. So that was crisis averted um, because I don't really know what they would have done if they lost Matt Patra. Um, They are very thin at center. So um, that was lucky that McAvoy's biggest hit of the weekend didn't knock out his own teammate. Uh, I think we should stick to the defense right here and bring in the fact that Laura was sent back down um, after his uh, stretch of games here before Grizzly came back from injury. So Grizzly goes right back to that top pairing with, McAvoy, that ends up with Mason Lorai being sent back down to Providence um, as well as Brown, right? So uh, he's – so Grizzly back, Lorai gone. I guess one last uh, thought about how he did in his sample size of games uh, up since he came in uh, and also whether or not maybe he shouldn't be in Providence if he should still be in Boston.
1: Well, Scott and I discussed this at length on the last episode, and since then, obviously, um, you know, Scott was ultimately proven right, or at least that the Bruins feel the way Scott did, and that uh, and that they want to set him down for X amount of time. And you know, I, I don't like I like I stated, I I wouldn't mind seeing him stick around, but I also I also understand why they're sending him down. I definitely think that he wasn't playing with the confidence of a, uh, or the most confidence that he's that he has. He was he was kind of, you could tell his decision making was at, at times just a step behind because he was probably overthinking and not wanting to make mistakes, and you know, then you see, Matt Grizzly come back into the lineup, and he just has a little bit more. In his decision making, he's just a little bit quicker in his decision making, a little bit more of a professional at this point. So, um, I thought I thought Laura played fine. I, you can also sit there and say that they they gave up seven goals against the Rangers, but let's be honest, that was happening with or without Laura in the lineup. So, but yeah, I, I thought he was fine. I thought he had his moments. I think he's he's still a work in progress. I still think he has enough talent to to learn at the NHL level right now. But I think that it's it'd be ignorant of me to not look at the situation that the Bruins are in as a team. Um, they don't need him right now. And so I guess uh, I'm, I was fine with it. I kind of expected it. Um, but if they keep getting up seven goals, nobody's, nobody's job on that back end is safe.
0: True. Uh, yeah. I just think Lori clearly has stuff to work on. And to me, development that goes beyond just, Hey just let him play through a couple mistakes like just st- structurally decision making especially in the defensive end like there's just there's a, a lot for him to work on and and that doesn't mean he's not close to NHL ready or anything like that like we we saw enough flashes to be encouraged during this stretch uh and certainly offensively he can make things happen he he did get himself you know in, involved in the ozone involved in transition um you know, he's, he's good with the puck and a stick when he's attacking, but defensively, like you saw him lose some battles. You saw him get caught flat footed at the offensive blue line. Uh, just, you know, as Brad said, like a little slow in terms of decision-making in terms of deciding what the right thing to do is at NHL speed. Um, you know, so you can go down to Providence and even though it's not the same speed, you, you, get those reps in, in game situations of learning when to pinch, when to fall back, you know, learning the right pass to make uh, under pressure from the four check, you know, winning battles in front of the net and in the corner. Like he can still do all that in Providence. He's also going to play on the power play and penalty kill, which he really wasn't doing in Boston. Um, and Just to kind of put like some final statistics on it I- until Saturday, because, Grislyk is also now a minus one at five on five, but uh, through through Friday, Lori was the only Bruins defenseman who's been on the ice for more five on five goals against than four. And it was 11 against seven, four. And in the 10 games that he played, he was on the ice for 11 of the 16 five on five goals that the Bruins gave up. Um, they just gave up more chances when he was on the ice more goals when he was on the ice and like at some I think I feel like a lot of Bruins fans kind of came around on sending him down was the right thing to do because even though you know even a week ago it would be like they can't send Lorai down like you gotta keep him you gotta play him you know he's he's so promising and by the end like I, I didn't really see a whole ton of backlash on Twitter of you know fans like but, like, people have been saying, like, you know, brace for Bruins Nation to freak out when he gets sent down. And I really didn't see a ton of that. Like, I, I think people by the end kind of understood, like, okay, he has work to do. Like, it's all right. Because even if you're not noticing, like, all the details, you notice when it's the same guy on the ice for goals against kind of over and over. Like, that's that's kind of hard to miss.
2: Yeah, and he kind of shot out of a cannon when he first uh, entered the lineup. He played in 10 games, but in the first three games, he had a goal and an assist. So he started out really strong, and then you kind of started to see in the larger sample size, okay, this is where the polish needs to be. Um, This is where, like, there's some rough edges that need to be fixed. But um, in his 10 games, he had one goal, three assists, and was a minus three. Uh, and I think they had trouble finding the right fit for him as well. Um, they had moved him around because he's he's probably not good enough to play on a top pairing, but that seemed like but he was playing with McAvoy and that, that seemed like the, the best place to put him. They also had him with uh Shattenkirk at times and and Mitchell, and they they rotated him around to different positions. I don't think they ever were particularly settled on where he would play best in the lineup. I will say that he was good enough that you can tell that Bruins actually have decent depth at deep at defense. Wow, there's a lot of D words in a row. Um, he he's there in Providence if you need him. Um, Ian, you also have Ian Mitchell, and then that's on top of what you would consider your healthy top six defensemen. So you have really you have eight um, that you can go to and that they're comfortable with. And then I guess if you consider Zaboral nine, um, uh. you know they have some other defenders that. I mean, we saw Witherspoon as well. Um, but I was going to say, think-
0: I, I don't know if Zoborl's even ninth. Like, yeah. I, I feel like he might be lower than that. Man.
2: Yeah, because we saw Witherspoon um, uh, before we saw him. But either yeah. way, I would say you have eight guys that are NHL like caliber everyday players and two of them can't play every day. So you're at least in that situation where if we are talking and skipping ahead to playoffs like everybody seems to want to in the conversations – you at when healthy you have eight guys and um you know if not healthy you have those two bonus guys you can throw in and you know hopefully by that time in the season we're talking about months from now in the spring maybe mason Laura has polished off some things in providence and is somebody that can come in and take ice time in the playoffs so um just a lot a lot of time for him still to develop and i i don't think that it was a bad thing to send him down uh, either i think if he had kept playing like he did those first 3 games then there would have been a riot but then but because the the next sample of games wasn't as as good as the first 3 it made sense
1: yeah and you know if we're going to stick to the defense again uh, another player who i noticed um seems to be on the ice a lot when when goals are scored against the bruins Bridget and Scott is Ian Mitchell. And you know, he plays, he's inserted into the lineup at the expense of Kevin Shattenkirk. And, you know, I can't help but wonder the last couple of games, Shattenkirk is is scratched, and the Bruins give up. It was a 12-13 goals. And Montgomery said he wants Shattenkirk to play faster. Which fine. It's it's okay to demand. Anything of any of your players, but none of us here ever assumed or 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 mis- mistook Shattenkirk for a fast skater. Like that's not what the Bruins got him to be. Was a this 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 Kale McCarr, Charlie McAvoy, you know, stallion in the back end, rushing the puck. Like they wanted him to be a solid, veteran presence on the blue line that makes uh, low risk smart plays and can chip in offensively. And through his experience, it's a Stanley Cup winner could just add some stability back there and a calming presence. Ian Mitchell is the exact opposite of all of that. Like, I'm not trying to bash in the player, but he's he's a young kid, he's trying to like make things happen I, and he's trying, but he's all over the map. And and I just feel like in that Detroit game and in the Rangers game, I just think those are the type of games where you kind of just want like that calming veteran presence on the blue line. And I think and I'm not saying that Shattenkirk in the lineup makes them beat Detroit that day or beat the Rangers that day, but let's just not forget why you brought in Shattenkirk and let's, and let's maybe let him kind of keep carving out his role in that third D pair. And, um, going forward, I would like to see him become more of a staple back there. That's all.
0: Yeah. I was, I was definitely surprised by the scratch Saturday. Um, you know, that they'd been rotating a little bit and to an extent, I understand that like, but I had thought maybe Kirk's dealing with something very minor that, you know, they're just going to play it safe or something. But I asked him Montgomery, because obviously Saturday was second second straight game, he got scratched. And he said, no, he's healthy. And as you mentioned, he said he just wants him to play faster. And I thought that was odd, because it's like, one, you're playing a, a back-to-back. So to me, any rotation you can get for that second game is a plus. like grizzly comes back and obviously replaces laurie that's one spot that rotates and gets some fresh legs in i thought you had a really easy chance to do that with shattenkirk going in for mitchell too and to not do it is a little odd there's also just like the and not that you have to do this but like shattenkirk's from the new york city area he grew up a rangers fan like i do think guys tend to get up for those kinds of games. It's one of his former teams. Um, that one actually felt like, like some sort of punishment and not just, you know, rotating, keep guys fresh, give Mitchell a chance. Like that legitimately felt like in Montgomery's eyes, Mitchell had passed Shattenkirk on the depth chart. And Brian, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't really fully understand why I, you can say Shattenkirk should you know, can play faster, hasn't been great or or whatever, but I still think for the most part, he's been more solid back there than Mitchell has been, because like I said, like Mitchell's a a young kid, not a ton of NHL experience, and he's, he's making some mistakes too. And, you know, even if like you want to bring advanced stats into it, like the Bruins are giving up more chances when Mitchell's on the ice and they have been with Shattenkirk, more high danger chances. And, I actually think if Chad Kirk has been on, on a per 60 minute basis has been on the ice for more goals against, but if like those chances and high dangers like level off, then Mitchell would be on the ice for more goals against. And I don't think there'd really be much of an argument that he's been better than Chad and Kirk. And I'm kind of like a little surprised that Montgomery seems to be, I don't know. Like I I like, ignoring or like overlooking some of Mitchell's shortcomings that I feel like, like we see and, you know, Montgomery's more favoring him because yeah, he is probably a faster skater than Chad and Kirk and he might be able to get more involved offensively at this point, but I'm not sure that that's making the Bruins a better team overall right now.
2: And he is a former uh player for Montgomery in college. So Montgomery has a probably, um in his mind he goes back to what was this player like in college what was his strength in college and really just maybe believes um he can do certain things that maybe we haven't seen him do with the Bruins uh so there's probably a bit of bias involved if I'm if I like it that's just one thought that comes to my mind because um I do think that Ian Mitchell has been a mixed bag because sometimes offensively he's getting shots through and and he's being aggressive um, and stepping into the offense, but other times like he has been on the ice for some, some goals against and and in front of his own net, he's not as strong a player as Shattenkirk. Um, I do think that I worry a little bit for Shattenkirk in that he got scratched two nights in a row in a situation, like you mentioned, Scott, that really, it would have made a lot of sense not to. And I wonder if asking him to play faster at this point in his career is actually like what level, what speed he can actually get up to. Um, and obviously they sent down Mason Lori and they decided not to do anything drastic and, and make a decision where they're like, yeah, Lorai over, over Shattenkirk, uh, which they just didn't do. But if the depth chart is changing from Shattenkirk being your extra defenseman after he started out the season through 15 games being, you know, your your bot like a bottom pair defenseman and but in the top six in everyday uh lineup i, well, I and really...
0: even even in the top four when mcavoy was suspended like mm-hmm. it, it, it was chan kirk who got moved up and got more minutes not
2: yeah Marshall, and so. and he got power play time and he looked i thought he looked solid on the power play and that's a, a place that you could obviously now with mcavoy back and grizzly back and lynn Holm, you have guys that are probably better than him on the power play but He's still an option there for you. Um And I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if he did enough in, based on what I've seen to get demoted at this point in the season. And maybe this is just a message being sent, but I'm not sure. It kind of seemed like an odd timing for it. And maybe we're missing something, Um but, or maybe this is just, just trying to see what they have in Mitchell. Who knows? It sounds like a combination of a bunch of stuff, but uh I wouldn't, I would, disagree with a decision to make Ian Mitchell more of a regular player than Kevin Shattenkirk at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, Shattenkirk's a, I mean, he's a proven winner in the league, you know, and, and, and for years, he was a, he was a top pair guy in this league, whether it was in um, Colorado or St. Louis or um, New York. And then obviously a more minor role in Tampa but again that's he won a cup and I would Do argue you think that,
2: this is maybe matchup based I don't know if there's something that Montgomery was thinking with New York that was like okay they're kind of a, like their offense is more speedy or like you know what I mean like there's an advantage to playing a guy that's 10 years younger and a little bit quicker maybe it was just a matchup based thing uh,
0: that's
1: yeah it's yeah. possible but at the but, same time but even, like, even then know, though teams all, all year yeah
0: and, and even then like if it was matchup based and kind of predetermined that way i would have planned ahead and said okay which one's a better matchup for mitchell ones which, which one's a better matchup for Shankar? Like, i still think splitting those games would have made sense just because i think fresh legs help in the second game of a back-to-back so and, and just one last thing i would note here like Derek forbert has been better with shattenkirk this season um just to quickly run through a couple advanced stats like expected goals forward shattenkirk 47 percent bruins forward mitchell 39 percent scoring chances 52 percent when forwards with shattenkirk 40 percent when he's with mitchell like high danger chances bruins get more than they give up when forward and shattenkirk are together they give up more than they've gotten when he's with mitchell like it, it to me, everything kind of leans in Shattenkirk's favor, but... Um. Yeah, that's
2: an important distinction to make, too, because at the end of the day, we're also talking about a chemistry of a pair. Um, two guys that work better together um, can really improve the, the way that, uh, you know, the structure is defensively, where coverage is, communication, um, you know, knowing where each other is on the ice, different things like that. At the end of the day, it does matter, um, which player looks, which player fills in that pair better. Um, and if Forbert's more comfortable playing with Shattenkirk, you know, that's, that's one thing um, though. I know we've had people mention maybe Forbert should be the, the seventh defenseman, which um, as of right now, I don't think that that's in the cards, especially seeing, you know, a little bit of the the hand that Montgomery is working with.
0: Yeah. I mean, Forbert's been, been solid this year. Like overall, I really don't have any issues with him and obviously he's a big part of the penalty kill. Um, Obviously the Bruins defensive issues this weekend though, were bigger than just the sixth defenseman or third pair. So I'm curious to get you guys' take, like what is your level of concern after these two games? Like, do you think we saw like major issues that, you know, the Bruins are going to have to fix or, do you sort of chalk it up as like a tough weekend and, you know, let's see how they bounce back.
1: Yeah, I think it's a tough weekend. I think, I mean, we've mentioned it in their last hundred games, they've won like 78 of them or 79 or something like that. So it's inevitable. And if it's, and you know, something, if it wasn't inevitable, it's like, well, then again, it's kind of similar to last year where it's like, you want them, you don't want them to have an easy, Easy goal of it in the regular season, because turns out you kind of want people to be battle tested. Now you can sit there and say all you want. Well, last year they didn't lose to Florida because they it's because they weren't battle tested in the regular season. It's because their goaltender got hurt, and it's because run was hurt, and Krejci was. You can, you can sit there and list every reason you want. Ultimately, when the Bruins got smacked in the face in the playoffs, they had no response. So I want this team to go through adversity. I don't want them being the top seed. I know Scott, you don't care about presidents. I just don't want the expectations. I don't. You know something? You mentioned that you don't believe in the president's trophy curse. And that might be fair. But what I can tell you is that there were Bruins last year after the season ended, and, and you guys might recall who it was in particular. But they they or you know what it was Cam Neely actually. And and he he said, Yeah, I do think the outside noise crept into the locker, maybe maybe I don't know, because they're at a loss for words. And I think that in Boston, when you have when you have um the polarizing teams that you have. If they were to go into this postseason again, number one seed in the league, guarantee you, you're going to have a lot of people talking again. And I just don't think this Bruins team needs that. Like go in there as a, as a just one of 16, you know, and, and go in there without these expectations of don't choke again, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, if you if you went to the playoffs as a, as a two or three seed in your division or a wild card, no one's going to be saying don't choke because the expectations are going to be on whoever's in that one seed. So, for that reason alone, they're gonna to have to lose a couple of games if they want to finish not in fr- not in first place, but also yeah,
2: but but also, you set yourself up to play Toronto, or like you know what I mean? Like you set I yourself think, up to not play a wild card team that you theoretically think, should have a better chance. i against. think
1: I think you need to um, i mean that that's that's fair, but look what happened last year like there's there's no guarantees. Last year, you were a game away from playing Pittsburgh, and then you draw Florida. Cause Pittsburgh lost to Chicago. So I'm not, I don't want to watch. I don't care about like where the Bruins finish. Cause every team is tough. And like, I just, I just think the, I, I care more about the Bruins psyche going into the playoffs than I do about who they're playing. And I just think that they had so much expe- expectation on them last year, but regardless of who they play in the playoffs, I just think this team needs to go through some bumps, go through some bumps, learn, and, and, and go from there. So if they let this compile into something like a 10-game losing streak or whatever, then shame on them. Um, but this is good. This is good for them, I think.
2: And, yeah, not for nothing, Detroit's a much better team than people expected them to be this year. And they're also – they're moved out of the wild card position, and now they're in the third position um, in the division. So they're, they've outperformed. And the Rangers are probably um, the team – That's most uh, at this point in the season, that's closest to the Bruins in terms of their, their dominance. So uh, those are two really good teams. Then you look, I mean, we're talking about a bounce back, but when you look at who they're playing this week, the next two games are Columbus and San Jose. So those are teams that are completely different caliber than Detroit and New York.
0: Yeah, and you get these two games to bounce back, and for the Bruins to fix the mistakes and and get their game right, and then you get tested again Saturday night in Toronto with, you know, a pretty big game, and obviously, uh, in Toronto, hockey night in Canada, all that. So this this should be an interesting week because, yeah, I think if the Bruins, if like these mistakes carry over, and all of a sudden they you know, lose to Columbus or San Jose and like give up four goals to one of those teams. All right. Like now we probably have, you know, some bigger concerns to discuss. Um, But if they get right and then go up to Toronto and play well, then it looks a lot better. Um Yeah. I, I, adversity is, is not a bad thing. And I do think, even though like it looks pretty daunting on paper, like giving up 12 goals in two games, it's like we know they can fix a lot of these mistakes because we've seen them not make these mistakes in the past. Like we've seen their penalty kill be great for the vast majority of the season. Then it gives up two quick ones to Detroit's power play. Another one shortly after power play ends. And it's like, okay, so did did their, does their penalty kill stink now? Or did they have a bad game that highlighted some things they have to fix? Like, I'm going to go with the latter. You know, we've, I still think their rush defense is something that they need to improve. And I know, you know, Montgomery's kind of talked about that all year. But when I look at, like, some of the end zone mistakes against the Rangers and, like, especially the seam passes they gave up where, you know, one in particular, I think it was the Panarin goal, like, Geeky was, as the. I think he was playing center that shift was too low in the slot. And so like the scene passes open above him and it's like, all right, like that, that might be a player who just came back from injury. Hasn't been playing a ton of center ends up at center in a straight shift and gets his positioning a little wrong. And like another one, I think it was in the Detroit game. I think it was Frederick was a little too high and kind of gave up a, a pass across. And it's like, the Bruins are usually very good about having bodies and sticks in the right lanes in zone. Um, even when their rush defense has been off, their in-zone defense has usually been pretty strong. So I think they can fix that stuff. Um, for me, like the bigger, the bigger sort of issue that I think they need to work on, and they've been starting to get better at it, but like they have not been a great possession team this year. And it looked like they had started to make some progress. I thought they were in the Florida game, um, which by the way, like, you know, I know like we're barely talking about because Friday and Saturday's games are, are fresher and, and more pressing, but, like that was a really good win for them. And I still think, I think Florida right now looks like, you know, the second best team in the division. Um, so you can't just like totally wipe that away either. But I do think they need to be uh Hold on to pucks more in the offensive zone. Get more cycles going because that also helps your defense and it helps your rush defense. Like teams aren't going to be as effective attacking you off the rush if they just spent 30 seconds defending in their own zone as you cycle around. They're going to be tired and they're just going to be trying to dump it in. So um, that is something like I think they still have to get better at. And and Montgomery has talked about you know quite a bit that they have to get better at.
2: I think there's another thing that we can pinpoint as something that uh, can change, and that would be the play of Brad Marchand, who's gone now. He's kind of in his own little slump. He's gone six games without a goal. I think he only has one assist in that time, maybe, maybe two. But his passing has not been crisp. And I know Brian, this is something you wanted to talk about because Brad Marchand is doesn't like historically doesn't really slump and he doesn't like his passing usually is better and his puck protection and we know what he can be for whatever reason over the past i, I want to say like 2 weeks it's been kind of noticeable some of the turnovers cuz he he had that turnover too that led to the empty net goal uh and uh that was a uh, friday and that was just kind of like a okay what what are we doing here um and not that i mean the game was probably already out of reach but he, he turned that over. Um, he had a few that it was just like it It ended up putting the uh, the rush defense to the test because when you turn it over kind of high in the zone, you leave the opposition able to transition quickly. And so, Brian, I know you wanted to talk about this, but this is another thing that is some something that could improve on um, and also something that we don't think will happen the whole season.
1: Yeah, well, I hope not. Um, You know, Marshan is an interesting situation for me. He's clearly still one of their best players, but I am weary of a potential regression for him production-wise and at a time where they kind of need him to not regress. Uh, Last year was the first time since 2015-16 where he wasn't well over point-per-game pace in the regular season. Um, Now, last year, he did start off the season on the shelf um, with offseason surgery and and coming back from that. But when he did, uh, he finished with 67 points in 73 games. Nothing to sneeze at, okay? Clearly, six points off, point-per-game pace. But then in the playoffs, he obviously went a little quiet too. But you have to – keep in mind who you're talking about, right? So less than a point per game in the regular season is something that he hadn't done in the prior like six years. So for him, that does mean something, right? It was, it was, it was a, a, a bit of a regression for him right now. Uh, he's what 19 points in 20 games. So around a point a game. Um, am I worried about him scoring? No, but Bridget to your point, when you're not scoring, what are you doing? And he's just his last five games, I think he has three assists um, or five or six games. And yeah, he has, he's gone pointless in his last three games. And in that process, he's doing nothing to spark the team in a positive way. You know, he takes a dumb cross checking penalty against Detroit uh, when, when it was the last thing that they needed uh, in that point in the game. He's just turning the puck over constantly and carelessly. He's forcing plays. And he just, he just, I don't know. I'm a little worried that maybe he's just not the player that they need him to be right now. And is 19 points in 20 games bad? No, don't mistake what I'm saying. But you have to keep your expectations relative to who the player is and what they've done in this league. And if he's not scoring for a couple couple games here and there, I get it. Best league in the world going to happen but as the captain you can't be t- Would would patrice bergeron take a stupid cross check a penalty like that uh an emotional penalty against detroit because you know he turned the puck over 30 seconds before and he's taking it out on the defenseman Is fair whatever is was bergeron having careless turnovers in the offensive zone and leading to transition the other way no so he's got to be he's got to be a little bit better for them i know he's got 19 points in 20 games but he's got to be better
2: and if you yeah, split no- if you just a quick stat, if you split it in half, like the first, cause he's played an even 20 games, first 10 games versus next 10 games. He had five of his seven goals in the first 10, two in the second 10. And, and, you know, it even more than that, he's, he's gone. I would say really his, his best production was first seven or eight games of the season. And then the next 12 have been more of a struggle.
0: Well, I mean he he had been kind of hot really before these last three. Like he had he had a six-game point streak and nine points in those six games. And I I thought that top line of him, Zach and Postanak was really starting to play like a top line, you know, with an ability to kind of take over the majority of their shifts on the ice. And then these last three games have definitely been very quiet. And yeah, you mentioned the frustration cross-checking penalty. Um, it's it's interesting because like Marchand being, you know, over a point per game player and like being an elite forward versus just being a good forward who's around a point per game, which is obviously still very good. It's such a big difference for this team because if Marchand's like something less than elite, then you just have one elite forward. You have David Pasternak. And that still gets you somewhere. But if you have Martian get back to like truly elite status and not just, you know, where he's been for now the last season plus, that makes such a huge difference because then either, either you split up your two elite forwards and they can each really drive a, a, an effective top two line, or you load them up and, and you should have one of the best lines in the NHL if Martian's just good or very good, but not quite elite, then, then you're like, you're loading up your top line and it's just a good top line, but not one of the best in the league. Or you split them up and you put them with Padre and DeBrusque, you know, like say, cause I, I've seen that kind of floated out there as like, Hey, could that be the spark that, you know, kind of gets Patrick and DeBrusque going on the score sheet where, I still think that line has played pretty well for the most part. Um, and DeBrus did have back-to-back games of the goal. But it's like, could you put Martian in there and really spark that even further? And it's like, if Martian's playing his best, yes, that's what would happen. If Martian's playing like he has the last three games, then that doesn't really guarantee you that he's even going to spark that line.
2: Yeah, and also is Heinen playing out? <laughs> like, who's
0: moving up? Are you
2: splitting up the coil line? Uh, yeah.
1: But but Scott, that's a good point to, to highlight because I do want to. I don't want people to listen to this and be like, "Oh, a guys, not scored 100 points. Brian's being a d bag towards towards Martian." That's not it at all. But um, but to your point, and and you kind of illustrated it better than I than I did. This team offensively, they are not. They're, they're not the deepest and highest of uh, of talented forward groups of the top teams in the league. You have David Pasternak, like you mentioned, and then you have a bunch of like good NHLers with Brad Martian being the other exception. And and that's why what you said is was is, is exactly what I was trying to say. They need him to be elite, like you mentioned, as opposed to just good, because that makes the big difference for this team. Um, and that's why. I And, and again, if you're not going to be scoring at an elite level, you cannot, absolutely cannot be, you know, just constantly trying to force passing through people's skates and just, you know, look like you're, you know, playing roller hockey out there. Not especially not when you're the captain of the Boston Bruins. It's it, it's you, you hold a different weight of responsibility in your shoulders. So um, you I guess the that.
2: question, I guess the last part of that question is, are you worried about it? Like, is this is this something that's like in your mind going to be resolved in the next few games? Or is this something that is like a, a longer term question, like a longer term issue, maybe?
1: I'm I'm not so worried about him. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. Like if he ends up scoring like 60 points in 82 games. Yeah, that's that's not that's not what you need. You need more out of him. But. What I'm more so worried about is when shit hits the fan for this team. Can he be the leader they need him to be, or is he going to revert back into like the Marsha that has a, sh- a short temperament and doesn't and, and, and acts before he thinks, and and this team can't afford that. Like you, he, so I'm a little bit worried. I'm I'm worried about, or worry might be too strong. I'm am I'm, I'm I'm curious to see if he can step up as a leader, um, as, as the leader, I I think that remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think like off the ice in terms of what he's saying in the room and how he practices and all that, like, I think he's a great leader. And I think he has been. And I think even talking to him like after the, the Rangers game and I thought he struck the right sort of tone, which is like, yeah, we we clearly weren't good enough. There's stuff to work on. We have to come, you know, to practice or morning skate Monday, I guess, ready to work hard. Um, but it's not time to panic. Like that was the right tone in my opinion. Um, but then it yeah, it also has to carry over onto the ice and that's where like he has to kind of try to guard against his instincts. He you mentioned like that hot-headedness and is it the end of the world that he took, you know, a cross-checking penalty that for all intents and purposes kind of ended any chance of a comeback in that game um, in November? No, not really. Was it the end of the world when he got, um, you know, it's probably a couple of weeks ago now, but a penalty for arguing with the refs during play, like after he didn't get a call? No, but you, you don't really want to have like any of those. Like, I, I just think, you know, yeah, the captain, it's tough, right? And we talked about this going in, like Martian has to find that balance of his leadership's going to be different than Bergeron and Char's. And to an extent, that might be great. Like like him being a little more fiery and a little more like hard on his sleeve might be a good thing. Like that might actually be like a nice change that could help this team. But then he also has to find that balance of not letting it go too far um with costly penalties or you know obviously he hasn't crossed this line yet but like if it went into another suspension or something like that that just like can't happen when you when you have a c it,
2: brian did you have anything to say to that or
1: nope
2: um to bring it back around to my opening take uh are you guys surprised that charlie coyle has more goals than brad marshall at this point in the season is tied with him for points Because as of right now, Charlie Coyle has nine goals that's second most behind Pasta, and that's two more than Marshawn.
1: Major stick taps to Coyle. Major stick taps because, I mean, yeah. I mean, now, again, it's all relative to the player. Brad Marshan, 19 points in 20 games, a couple bad plays, a couple stupid penalties. Brian's sitting here. He's got to be better. Charlie Coyle, 19 points in 20 games, and I'm asking for stick taps on the boards for him. But, again, it's relative to the player, and he's stepping up without a doubt about it. Um, clearly on pace for for career highs. And the best way to describe it is Charlie Coyle was given an opportunity in the lineup that he previously didn't really have. Although, again, we've mentioned in 2021 when, when uh, Krejci went to the Czech Republic, they, they did give him that, that second line center opportunity, and he didn't run with it. Second time around... He's given an opportunity and he's taken advantage of it and and more minutes, more opportunity and leads to production, not for everybody, but for him. And he's, he's, he has stepped up. I loved his game outside of the scoring as well. And so he, he is, um he has definitely uh, made his case known to be a top two center on this team where a month ago we were kind of pounding the Matt Patra chest and Matty P has kind of gone quiet back, you know, it, it's one of those reminders. It's a long season as a 19 year old and he's going to have his ups and downs, but Coyle has been steady Eddie this entire season and, and more so. So uh point per game pace from Charlie Coyle is, is definitely more than I expected and, and good for him.
0: Yeah. And, and he's earned it. Like we thought he was basically going to just be given second line center job. And then he, had to beat up Patra for it and there were even a couple of games early on there where it was like oh it looks like potter is you know probably the second line center the way this is lined up and maybe coil's already back to being the third line center and coils just kept playing really well and now is clearly one of their top two centers and you know this isn't a knock on Zach at all because i think Zach is also having a strong season but at times like Coyle's. You know, been playing like the best center, so uh, definitely have to give credit to him. And it's not just a matter of, oh, uh, well, you put him between two really good players. So of course his points are up. Like, now his most common line has been James Van Riemsdyk and Trent Frederick. That's
2: yes, we would have thought what like, we, we would have thought... called the third line, but it's not right. the third line
0: anymore. <laughs> exactly, like they've been playing like a set, like a true second line, and Coyle is the biggest reason for that it is his play. Now, just to be a little bit of a Debbie Downer, I would note that Charlie Coyle is shooting 23%, which is double his career average. So he probably won't continue to score goals at this rate, but he's playing really good all-around hockey, even besides that.
2: And and he's not on the top power play unit. Like he's scoring with the chances he gets. He's it's not like he's set up to be one of the guys who's on the ice for the best opportunities. Like he's a penalty killer more than he is a power play guy. Um, he has two power play goals this season. And sometimes you see him out there with the first unit, but usually it's Van Riemsdyk. That's an net front guy in the first unit. Sometimes they'll throw coil out there to take the opening face off um, of a power play and, and, and kind of mix in for a little bit and then come out. But like, he's not set up for that. Like that's not his role. Um, he's not the guy that they're, they're like, okay, yeah, you can go pick up the scraps in front of the net on the power play, like with, with Van Riemsdyk and sometimes DeBrusque. Um, But he has done everything he could with this. And also like you mentioned, this would be what we would have called the third line. Like we would have called, well, besides Heinen, I'm not sure who we really would have thought was on the, the side of the second line, but like a line with Potter and debrusque we probably like naturally we were kind of calling the second line for a while. Um, but production-wise, it's been the third line, and uh, Frederick Van Riemsdyk and Coyle has been that the the better of the two of those lines. So, uh, yeah, he's driven that. He's driven a lot of that, and not just as the leading goal scorer on that line, but also as the best defensive player on that line, and uh, somebody who has the leadership role on that line. Uh, and I also think that. I wanna give some credit to Trent Frederick in that his development over the past few seasons makes him able to compete at this level that he could be a second line player. Um, whereas in the past, like it took him a little bit to get up to this kind of speed in terms of um, you know, his skill and and I honestly think a lot of it was understanding his role um and finding chemistry. So and Van Rusick has been, we've mentioned this before, the biggest. Uh, pleasant surprise uh, of an addition for the Bruins in the off season. So it's, it's all come together uh, for that line over the last few games, even when they were losing, even when they were giving up a lot of goals, that line still looked good.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned Trent Frederick and, you know, it wasn't too long ago. It was not this past preseason, but the one before. Okay. So heading into the 2022 season, Trent Frederick to that point hadn't done anything. At the NHL level, really, except for a try to fight Ovechkin and a couple scraps with Wilson, which, you know, showed spunk, but didn't really produce it all. And then he had a preseason heading into last year where you kind of think he's fighting for a job and he sucked. He was one of the he was one of the worst players in preseason that, as far as a player who had something to prove. And then the regular season started, and he just had a he had a, a, did he did he eclipse twenty goals last year? Did he get twenty goals last year?
0: Seventeen, I believe oh, he 17. ended up at. But I would also like to your point. He was a healthy scratch opening night last year.
1: Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like like he hadn't given any, anybody any hope, any promise that that, that he was going to be able to turn this thing around. And last year, Scott, as he just said, seventeen goals and had some really strong games um, along the way, and you know some really. Good fights. Um, just he was a very good player with with Hall and and and, um, and Coyle, and he was great. Um, and then the the-
2: like the entire team was heavily in the plus in terms of plus minus, but he was right. a plus twenty four. Like the, most of the team was like plus twenty or better, but he was one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure even Todd Angeli was a was a plus player last year for them. So like, there's always something, but. Anyway, going into the he, he year, got a
0: minus for that one uh Canadian <laughs> anthem slipper. Although it was really more the organist, but you
1: know. Yeah, that was Ron Pouls, so that also took the minus there. Um, but the question this year was okay, everybody and their mother had, a, had an amazing career last year. Can he do can he follow it up this year? Last year wasn't a fluke. He is he has arrived on the scene as an everyday effective NHLer. has he reached his offensive ceiling yet? probably not but to your point bridget kudos to him as well and and yeah now scott i don't know if you had a follow-up on frederick i did want to give danton Heinen some props too but i'll go to you first yeah i was just gonna
0: say like it, it creates kind of an interesting situation because i still feel like if you know we're talking longer term rest of the season building your team towards the playoffs and hopefully making a deep run like as good as Trent Frederick has been. And in my mind, I look at that. I'm still like, okay, he should probably still be a third liner though. And, you know, you you would think like that'd be like a natural place to upgrade the roster come trade deadline time is, you know, find another true top six winger. But then it's like, well, be careful what you wish for, because as we know, and as we've seen, like Coyle and Frederick just click really well together. And even, you know, even at times where it, like if Frederick isn't, scoring a ton like he has eight points in in 20 games so it's not like he's keeping keeping pace with coil at 19 but it's like their games work together and you could yeah you could go out and get a more talented player with a better track record but like what if you plug him in there and you know he doesn't click with coil the same way like so yeah you know i i do still think like even if it ends up being a third liner instead of a true second liner i think they probably are going to need another scoring threat at some point, but that might tie into to where we're going next because
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I, Heinen's one of the guys who's played up in the lineup, and now Morgan Geeky's back as well. So, you know, some some options for the Bruins to to look at.
1: So, I actually have another name I want to bring up in a little bit, but let's stick let's stick with the players on the current roster. Yeah, I, look, I think Danton Heinen has been. Um, he's he, he's been he's been great, you know, I mean, great might be strong, but he's been really good for him. What he got five points in twelve games? how, how many how many games did he play for them so far? Twelve games, five points. Um, he's just been steady, like doesn't make mistakes reliable. We've seen him in Boston before for a couple of years. We know what he's capable of then. He's more or less the same player now, just a little bit more, probably confidence or just veteran savvy. Um, but as it pertains to him, like, he's been with Patra and DeBrusque, and obviously that line hasn't been going off on 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 fire. But, you know, DeBrusque scores on a good four check on that line in Florida. And um, Heinen, Heinen finishes off a play against Detroit. Uh, I'm trying to remember who got that to him up front. Uh, was it Frederick maybe on a line change?
2: I, I think – I thought it was Coyle. Yeah. Um... Mm-hmm. Let me yeah, check. Maybe. It was a weird bounce off the wall too. It oh, kind of like it was Lorai. It was Laura. It went off the wall, and I, then I think it hit Coil and came back out yeah. to Heinen. Or yeah, like I that.
0: think Coil had like a Coil got an assist. So I think it was like a quick touch.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I don't even know if it was fully intentional.
2: But yeah. I don't know if it was either, and neither did Heinen. Heinen was looking around after he scored, like he was confused what happened but he's like I scored but like how
1: (laughs) so so we'll we'll uh we'll catch a few butterflies with the same net here um Dan Heinen thoughts on him and of course um Jake DeBrus does does break out of his goal scoring slump in Florida uh just your guys' thoughts on those two players
0: yeah I think Heinen's been basically as advertised like a little bit of Swiss Army knife. He's moved around. He even he ended up with Coyle and Frederick. The game that Van like sat. Um, you know, I, I think he's been a pretty good fit with Potra and DeBrusque. It's just it's so interesting because like I, I do feel like that line pretty consistently just has like good shifts. And you do you do see DeBrusque get two goals in two games Wednesday and Friday, although w- one of them is. You know, on the top power play units, so that's not with that line. Um, but still feels like at some point they're gonna have to score a little more than than they have, obviously. Um, you know, to to DeBrusque and Padre when they've been together, like scoring chances, shots, expected goals, all of that are like 60% in the Bruins' favor. Like it's it's impressive. And yet it's just not translating to a ton of actual goals. And that's been whether they've had Heinen with them or Geeky before that. And now Geeky comes back and had, I think, a rusty first game on Friday. Um, better second game Saturday and, and scores a goal on an absolute rocket of a shot. Uh, so they're going to have some some playing around to do in, in this bottom six and figure out, you know, who – best fits where whether it's keeping Heinen with Pachr and Debrusque and letting them continue to build, whether Geeky gets a chance there again because he had he had some chemistry with Patra earlier this year. Uh you know the other one's probably on the fourth line, which for now bumps Oscar Steen out. Although Steen could cycle in for Lauco at some point. So a little some moving pieces here that I think Montgomery can Play with and try to find you know exactly what fits best because I think we've seen I think we've seen flashes from kind of all these combos but maybe not anything that's really settled in quite as well as as the top six has and certainly as that coil line has.
2: Yeah, I think that's been the most frustrating line is the the Patra de Bruskin line just because you see it and you're like, okay. Um, like in all the notes I'm taking about this line, it's like, oh, this good cycle, like this good, strong, like move with the puck or like most of what your eyes are telling you is this is this line is uh, possessing and, and uh, having good offensive zone shifts. And it's just not turning into production, I guess. Um, I think maybe just a little bit of a strategy change on that line. Could help. It's it's hard to say because I mean we know DeBrus could be good net front. Seems like they've all kind of cycled into that. Uh, when they're together, they they all kind of take turns out in front of the net. But yeah, that's been that's been the line. It's like if they could just start matching what you're what those stats that you're talking about, Scott. Like coming to at least like more of an equilibrium with that stat, um, then you're you're adding a lot of production and it's it was i mean for debrusque that power play goal comes net front because van Riemsdyk was out so like you you plug him in there he does well but it's probably not going to be uh his his role as much because van Riemsdyk is usually the guy there so that's one goal and and you can you know you, you can be happy for him but it also is not like okay this is an everyday solution for his scoring problems because you're you know, you're taking Van Riemsdyk off of that line or, you know, you're, you're taking one or the other off that top power play unit.
1: Let me ask you guys a question. We all here agree that the Bruins need another difference maker up front. And we all think that, well, I guess we could wait and see the trade deadline and see what happens, but a top two center, I just don't think they're out there necessarily unless there's some sort of hockey trade to be had or, or a team like Calgary really just wants to, you know, sell the farm or whatever, you know, Lin I, I don't know if you guys heard the name I said, but Patrick Kane has been linked to uh, a lot of contenders in the East um, Toronto, Florida, um, Carolina, uh, out West, maybe Dallas. And my question to you guys is the Bruins need another top six forward. And if 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 Patrick Kane took a a pay cut, which it sounds like he might do to to go anywhere, because he's made his money in his career and he wants to go to a contender, well, the Bruins are they're a contender, and you know if you'd be willing to take a pay cut to go somewhere else, why not Boston? Um, obviously, he's not a center, but there's question marks there. But how come you guys haven't heard the Bruins name at all? Interested in him? Should they be interested in him? Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on 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 Patrick Kane?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, for starters, one reason you don't hear it is because the Bruins have no cap space. So they would have to make a trade to, like even at a discount to be able to fit him in. Um, So that's part of it. Uh, Other than that, it it is a little odd that like he's seemingly been linked to every other team. And maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe the Bruins just aren't really interested. And that's why we haven't heard. I do think there's My
2: thought is that maybe they assessed his injury situation and his like the point in his career is not worth the risk.
0: Well that that's kind of what I was going to get to is like a is like Kane obviously it's still fairly talented and can put up some points. He was never great defensively, he's gotten even worse and there have been times where like he's almost been more of a negative than a positive. And I think part of where he can really be a positive for a team is still in the power play. Well, where does he play on the Bruins top power play unit? Like he's not, uh, obviously Pasenak staying on his left elbow. Kane usually plays on the, on the elbow on the right side. So is he replacing Brad Marchand? Yes. Are you, are you moving Marchand net front? Like how exactly are you doing that? Because, Marshand hasn't been very good net front on the power play when he's had to play there before. So that's sort of another fact is like, I think there's teams where Kane would have a very obvious and natural fit on their power play. And then with the Bruins, it's like, I don't know, kind of duplicates a, a really good player you already have there.
1: I think, I think there's a lot of areas on the ice where Brad Marshand at this point in his career and Kane's career is like, better than Kane, probably like compete level for one, maybe, or just a little bit of, he's a little bit more tenacious. And, but I don't think power is one of them. I think Patrick Kane's an instant upgrade on that right elbow over Marshan. love Martian, but like, especially if you give him like, a little bit of practice and, you know, let him get his feet wet. I mean, his playmaking Scott it's, I mean, his, 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 his it's better than Martians. No, well, my,
2: my oh. thought, my, my thought is, is it like worth the risk that you have to trade away. Like what piece are you getting rid of to make room for this contract? Would you rather have the stability of, or the depth of maybe someone that you're, you're giving up, um, who maybe is a better defensive player more, you know, not as much of a liability for injury or for just speed or whatever. Um, You're cause you're going to, it's not just a guy you can add. Like, it's not just like oh we're going to sign him because of the cap situation. So it's you're it is in your mind like okay what are we giving up and what are we getting and maybe if, because of that it just doesn't make as much sense for Boston.
1: Scott is there a, is there a caveat to that with um Patrick Kane being um over 35 and like being able to do like a, like something to with do with Krejci and Bergeron with the bonus type stuff?
0: Yeah, I I think you could. Um, Obviously, as it did with Bergeron and Krejci, that means you're going to have over just for next season that will work against you. Um, But even still, like, I mean, the Bruins have like $50,000 in cap space right now. So (laughs) you got to free up some money no matter what. Um, Like, it's probably, in in terms of (laughs) who you're way, You can't sign
2: a $50,000 contract. (laughs) It's a little no, bit below no, the league minimum. And, the, uh, and, even though, and
1: even though Scott says before that the cap uh, accrues over the season, um, I don't think that's in play here because Kane's going to want to sign a contract far before the deadline.
0: Correct. And, by the way, the Bruins aren't accruing any cap space because Milan Lucic is still on long-term injured reserve. So uh, they're, they're not even doing that. Um, yeah, I, I think you would probably be – like the who, who you're trading is – probably names that we've floated in rumors before. And it's like, if it's someone up front, you look at Jake DeBrusque. If it's on defense, you look at maybe maybe it's Forbert or Grizzlick. And then you call Lori up full time, which we just talked about. You know, is he really ready for that? So uh, those are like, you're looking at one of those moves, um, in my mind, in order to fit Kane. And I
2: don't really like those, any of those Honestly, for, for different reasons for each player, but and also yeah. just the fact that like he hasn't caught on anywhere yet. Like he's he could have signed as a free agent before the season started, uh, but he's still, you know, where he is right now, still kind of shopping and and gonna probably have a lower price than he originally thought he would. And I just don't really trust that he's fully healthy and like the patch of cane that everybody's thinking of that might not be there. You know, I I just, I don't know how much of it's still there.
1: Well, I guarantee you though. Well, I do think that with a full off season uh, and addressing his injury, I do think he was playing hurt last year. Uh, and, and, And I think that whoever gets his services this year will be getting more than what the Rangers did. I think last year, when they, when they brought him in at the deadline, it was kind of a, there was too many, there was too many toys in the store last year with that Rangers team. I mean, Boston had a similar issue, but so did the Rangers. The Rangers got bounced in the first round, and they had a roster that should have gone much further, too. So, I mean, if Patrick Kane goes to, like, the Hurricanes, I mean, the East is in trouble because the Hurricanes are a fantastic team, and they just lack a little bit of scoring punch. Um, I have a feeling he might end up in Dallas. Um, So, look, I'm not saying I would do it. I don't think you guys would do it anyway if the Bruins could do it. I don't know if you guys love the player at this point. Um, But I do think the Bruins need help up front. Maybe it comes internal. Maybe Fabian Lysell gets a look at some point and he jumps onto the scene. Maybe Fabian Lysell doesn't play a game for the Bruins this year. Who knows? I'm just trying to think of different ways that the, this team could get a little bit of um, offensive punch at some point.
0: I would also just say, though, like, yes, Kane was clearly playing hurt last year, but these serious hip surgeries, like, they they do not guarantee that you come back as your old self. I mean – we just talked about, you know, Marchand last year never really now, he still had a good season, but was never really fully back to himself. Nicholas Backstrom down in Washington has not even been close to the same since he had hip surgery. We know, you know, different situation because he was goalie, but Tuke ended up retiring because he and they're all they're all slightly different surgeries. Like that it's not like all four of those are the same. But I'm just saying, like it, it is kind of one area of the body where You know, we kind of think nowadays, like, every surgery you can make a full recovery from and be good afterwards. And in hockey with hips, like, that's the one thing that still seems to take guys a while. And, you know, there's really no guarantee, especially in your 30s, that you're going to come back the same. So I I do think whatever team signs them, like, there is some risk involved because – he might say he feels good and he's ready to go and then you get on the ice and like 20 games in you're like oh boy like Patrick Kane really really doesn't look like Patrick Kane at all so also um, not
2: for nothing he hasn't been but he missed the first say 20 games of the season and he ha- he's not at NHL speed right now like he I'm sure has been, you know, working on the ice or whatever, but that's not games. Um, like I'm sure he's been rehabbing and skating and doing all that stuff, but you know how it looks when you have to get up to speed to an NHL level when everybody else is already kind of hitting that stride and and you're coming in and you haven't played in a while and you already were a little bit slow last season. So I
1: don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Bruins are in a situation where they're competing this year. Um, Maybe to many people's surprise, maybe not. Maybe to the Bruins' own surprise, maybe not. But I do think because they're a team that's atop the league yet again, uh, you have to take them seriously. They have to take themselves seriously as a team that, that, okay, well, we're contending again this year. And so I think while you don't want to tinker with chemistry too much, like maybe last year they did, um and maybe just kind of ride what you have and see how you do in the playoffs i do think maybe adding one scoring punch could help this team uh if it's not patrick kane which it probably isn't if it's not fabian Lysell, which it probably isn't and we don't think morgan Geeky is going to be a 30 goal scorer anymore or danton hein and like maybe they'll just stand pat and then at the deadline they'll try to just add a you know affordable middle six borderline top six forward if they can find one and i'm sure every team there's always sellers. I'm sure they'll be able to find something. I'm sure that's what their plan is. They're probably just going to ride it till the deadline and see what they can find at the last hour.
0: Yeah, and and I'm totally okay with that plan. For for the record, like I, you're in good shape despite these last two games. I'm totally fine with riding it out, seeing what you have in this team again. Like, see if Potter and Debrus can get going. You know, see what Fred, what Frederick is. Is he? does that line hold up like a true second line or does it need to be upgraded? Like you, by getting off to such a great start, you've given yourself uh, a lot of slack to be able to work through things and not have to jump at like the first possible move to make because, you know, you're fighting for your playoff lives already. Like you've given yourself some cushion to, to weigh things out and be patient. And I think that's a luxury that the Bruins should take advantage of and then reassess closer to the deadline.
1: All right, guys. So the Bruins are off. Well, actually they're playing tonight. They're playing the blue jackets tonight. So, yes. <laughs> well, but again, like we, like we mentioned offline, like there was so much to cover. Um, any, any other lingering storylines from the weekend worth worth discussing or just kind of put I it up? I think we
2: should say, whatever we even talked about, I think we should save for next episode since we're already um, an hour and 20 minutes into this, so.
1: Yeah, well, I thought we were going to do a three-hour episode today, especially. Oh, episode.
2: yeah, no, sorry. I have other things. I have my three other jobs to do.
1: <laughs> all right, well, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. Scott, you're all set? All good. Yep. I'll I'll
0: I'll spare everyone a New York City story. So. Oh, Scotty. No, the there's nothing super crazy anymore. Anyway,
2: so where did you good. see rats? Where were the rats?
0: Actually, didn't see. Oh, well, did see rats in the subway, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> saw, saw, saw a bunch of mouses though
1: walking the the High
0: Line. They're um, called mice. That,
1: that's true. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Believe it yeah. or not, Scott edits our grammar and we used to well when I used to work at the website. Yeah, yeah just
2: as long as he never uh brings up any of my horrible mistakes, you know, I'm gonna Me, just...
1: me fail English.
2: That's impossible. <laughs> How many me did you see, Scott? Like I don't
1: know. So you, you, didn't, you didn't throw on a uh like a Spider Man costume and run around Times Square when you were there?
0: Didn't even go to Times Square, thank you. Good.
1: Good. Stay, Good. stayed away. Yeah, you gotta you gotta go to Sbarros and get some authentic New York style pizza, right? <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll save any other stories until Wednesday. So, in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of your Monday, Tuesday, and we'll talk to you very soon.